Bookstore and The Secret Garden. Welcome to Simple Life Radio. I'm your host, Cynthia Fernandez. Simple Life Radio is a weekly program that focuses on just that, simple life. I hear from listeners that they find the show interesting, informative, and inspiring. So I hope you can take a few minutes and just listen in. Maybe give yourself a a little leg up on the furniture and relax with us. Our guest today local Kristen Ramston is a certified Eurythmy instructor and she was talking to me in the bookstore about Eurythmy what it was I really didn't know what it was and from the sounds of it 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 sounds very simple it sounds very powerful it sounds like it balances the body which I didn't know any of this anyway just listening to her having never heard of it before I invited Kristen to be with us on the show so uh, we could share it with our listening audience. So welcome, Kristen. Thank you. And I just, you know, Eurythmy, it's a really interesting word. What is it, and why haven't we heard more about it? Well, it comes from the ancient Greek words oi, eu, rhythmia, where we can hear that we get our word rhythm from. So if you keep in mind that all rhythm is movement, all movement is rhythm, you'll have one, one segment of the word, and the prefix eu in the ancient Greek pronounced oi means beautiful. Actually, it means true. Hmm. So what is true is beautiful. I and like what that. is good is both true and beautiful. So you could say it's true or beautiful or harmonious is perhaps a more all-encompassing word. Movement. Harmonious for the human being. So I'm, I would never ask or I'm never asked as a eurythmist to raise my right heel and scratch my left ear. I have, there's no physical contortion that's involved. It's really body language. That's the essence of it, visible sound. When I uh, did a little research online about this and and I realized that um, there's actually a lot out there to look at, seeing the movements in correlation to sound on the stage as these performers were um, demonstrating reminded me a little bit of modern dance. It had a free form, it had a fluidity. Um, Yeah, is that close? It's close. It comes about historically at the same time as Isadora Duncan. So this is the turn of the century, the beginning of the 1900s, where people were looking to break the confines of the traditional ballet that was practically what was available for movement at the time. And Isadora Duncan and many of the others at that time turned to a real free-spirited movement. But Rudolf Steiner 
who worked with the, the woman who founded Eurythmy, Laurie Meyer-Smits. Her task, the task he gave her, was to try to study the movement of the larynx, really, the mouth organism as we speak, and extend that movement, that anatomically correct movement that we speak, into gesture. Mm. Using your arms, which are our most expressive limb, and extending the movement here, which is focused around the throat, into the into the arms. That's fascinating. I wondered why they call it the speech of movement. That must be yeah. it. Visible speech or visible music. Uh-huh. Because the same will hold true for every musical tone or musical um, cadence, for musical harmony. You can have a movement, a direction of movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it, this eurythmy stimulates and cultivates something for the individual that's practicing it. Is that right? Definitely. I mean, you're having to be absolutely true to what you hear so that what your movement does matches in exact as exactly as possible what we've heard. So if you hear a high tone, you'll see the the eurythmist raise up, even up on our tippy toes. A low tone will bring us right down into the depths. It's much easier with music because that's something that's very deep within us and, and lives and is, is expressed from inside us. Speech is something more connected to concepts and thought processes and so sometimes it's it's harder for us to understand that a b sound will be different from say a m sound but you can you can feel if you live into the sound you would have to move your arms differently for a plosive or for a an air sound or a water sound or a a fire sound. Mm-hmm. Very true. And very differently for a vowel, which is closer to music, than for a consonant, which has more structure and form. And so related to different languages, for example, Hawaiian uh, as a language has so many vowels. Yes. And uh, some of the Eastern languages, German and Czech, have uh, lots of consonants. There would be a, a visible representation that you could actually get a sense of that energy. That's a fascinating study, and it's fascinating to watch in a performance a Russian poem juxtaposed with a French poem or next to a German poem. You'll see a completely different quality of the language, which we hear, but we very rarely can actually see it. That's right. That's really So to see sound, yeah. we begin to develop an eye to see sound. Wow. Now, I read about this that um, it, it awakens your creative and spiritual powers. And just from listening to you speak about Eurythmy and, and describe for us how it works and the basis of it, I get a sense for the creative, certainly, 
can you speak a little bit about the the spiritual powers that it awakens? Well, I would say first and foremost, we have a view of the human being with three capacities. We have the capacity of thought, we have the capacity of feeling, and we have the capacity of doing, of acting. And these three capacities, when they're in harmony and in balance, weave together to make the human spirit that we are. Really, um, they're the warp and the weft of our spirit, our ability to think, our ability to feel, have compassion, and our ability to act. Mm -hmm. And so in Eurythmy, where you're not moving just the physical for the sake of the physical, for the result, but you're, you're having, yes, to coordinate yourself, but not just yourself for your own sake, yourself coordinated with the others in the group. This means teamwork. This means sensing where the others are and what the other needs from you and how you can help something larger than each individual come into being. So that's a tremendous social act that we're involved with in Eurythmy. So just there, I've, I've already drawn upon the fact that we're having to center ourselves, not in ourselves only, but with the group. We are concentrated together, not just individually, but collectively. And we're coordinated together in our working together of the poem, having to make it visible, the whole of it, the mood, the color, the atmosphere, the drama, the, the sounds, bringing that to visibility, but also with this sense of of mm, feeling for the other and for what is needed by the poem or the piece of music, which is not my personal interpretation. It's what is written black and white on the page. That's the objective fact that we're holding ourselves to. Mm. And so through these uh, expressions of movement and gesture, what I hear you describing is really an integrated whole human being and that they become both the player and the instrument. That's right. Yeah. And we personally, hopefully, become invisible. That's why often it's we're criticized for not having an expression. We, we don't necessarily smile when we're doing a dramatic, mm, difficult piece. You know, we're, we're trying to disappear and let the music shine through our instrument, our okay. physical form, or let the, the lyrical poem or the dramatic poem come to expression through the instrument of our body. Mm -hmm. And that must be why I uh, ran across uh, the description for your rhythm that included um, a profound inner sensitivity and also vulnerability. Well, yes. I mean, that's any artist will relate to that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but especially one that's trying to disappear, one that's trying to feel and um, not translate 
really, but just express What's the there. raw yes. uh, information that as they as they get it. Yeah. yeah, and trying to be as true to that as possible, and not letting myself or my my likes and dislikes, what I would want, what I want other people to see when they look at me, mm. not to let that get in the way. Yeah, to mask it. Yeah. So this is really fascinating, and I want to get into the work that Eurythmy plays in a, in a therapeutic environment, um, both with elderly and with children and everybody in between. Um, but uh, before we get too far, I want to remind our guests that uh, my guest today uh, in the studio, Kristen Ramston, is a local. She is a Eurythmy instructor. Uh, travels all over the world to teach this and share this with interested people. And Kristen, if uh, if folks listening want to know more information, can they contact you? Of course they can. Yes. How, how do they reach you then? They could call me directly. I have a Maine number because I used to live in Maine, but I am local here on the peninsula. My number is 207-208-7888. And that's the best way to get in touch with me. Wonderful. Wonderful. So let's talk about the success rate that Eurythmia is having in a therapeutic setting. Uh, I'd like to understand, if, 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 uh, if I could, how it's therapeutic. But what I read was that it's uh, really successful with autistic children, and that was very fascinating to me. We, we all have heard about autism on the rise um, many of us know people or, or even, you know, directly have experience with uh, working with autistic children. So how does that work? Well, I should say that it, it works for all aspects of, um, we call them otherwise gifted human beings, not just the autism spectrum. But, and I have to say that I myself haven't worked directly with handicapped or challenged people of this kind myself, but I know that the therapeutic side of eurythmy works, first of all, one-to-one. -one. You, as a eurythmist, as a trained therapeutic eurythmist, you work together with a doctor. So the doctor gives the diagnosis, and then together you you try to find through the spectrum of language and music what sounds and what combination of sounds could access, could um, reach the organs or the conditions that the patient is suffering from. And then one tries to teach as a eurythmist the patient or work with the patient so that the patient comes along to be able to create these movements themselves which in turn work in a healing way on themselves. So the patient becomes the healer of themselves. Perfect. Completely empowered. Exactly. And so is the goal of that treatment to increase circulation for example? You know all of our lifestyles are are dependent on how well we're sleeping, how well we're breathing, how well we're eating, how well our circulation is flowing. And all of these are brought into balance when you bring the whole human being into balance in their thinking, in their feeling, in their doing. You're working harmoniously on the 
whole human being. Mm -hmm. So balance not just for circulation, but balance for sleeping, making sure that the rhythms are right, making sure that that the emotional life of the individual is not swinging in wild extremes, that, you know, that they're not so tied up in knots that they can't sleep and let go, you know, to get everything in balance. We are very fine instruments. <laughs> a little bit so, complex. A little yeah. bit complex. <laughs> wow. But interesting. And yeah. It, it now, takes all kinds. This is much more, um, how shall we say, well-known in European countries or other countries in the world. Can you speak to that? That's because it started in Germany okay. with Rudolf Steiner as the philosopher, scientist, who began the organization of Anthroposophy, which is Sophia Anthropos. Anthropo is the ancient Greek word for man. We know this word from anthropology, logia, logic. So anthroposophia is, Sophia was the goddess of wisdom, so wisdom of man. And that's, so Steiner was the philosopher who developed biodynamic farming, which we, I think, is coming very much to the fore in the agricultural scene. He also founded the Waldorf schools. He started a whole new trend in medicine, which looks at the human being as a whole, takes homeopathy a whole step further. He worked on many different levels into architecture and um, every facet of human life, really. And he didn't leave off the big question, What hap where do we come from? Mm. Where are we going? That is a big question. <laughs> so... Um, so it started in Germany. It started in Germany, and then before the war had already spread to Holland and the areas around Germany. But during the war, the Second World War, all Waldorf schools had to shut down. All of Steiner's work was brought to a standstill in Germany. He was, meanwhile, in Switzerland, the neutral country, where he was building the first Goetheanum. He was very much inspired by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, the great German poet. And this Goetheanum that he built was finished in 1924. It was completely carved out of wood. It was three interlocking domes, which the architects of the day had said was impossible to construct. And he built this, and it was then razed to the ground and burnt in 1924 and then he stood so that, on was, was that in Germany that was in Switzerland in Switzerland in Donna in the neutral country yes hmm. yes and he then stood on that ground and said the next Goetheanum that is built must be indestructible and so he developed the method of of construction of pouring concrete that had never been done before and he wanted to build an enormous building with a, a slate roof from Sweden. And again, the architects of the day said, there's nothing, no structure that could possibly carry the weight of that slate. But his construction using this poured concrete built the building that still stands there today. 
and they used they supported the roof from flying buttresses from the outside of the of the structure whereas the first Gotianum was supported from within from columns the three domes were supported from within and I think that's very interesting because I think the Anthroposophical Society today is very much supported from the work in the outside world in the many different countries where Waldorf schools have spread and and the work of the society in biodynamic farming has moved out in Australia. There's a lot of work being done. There's lots done in Europe, but also now in China, for instance, where I'm being called to go every year. So how many years have you gone to China to, to practice and teach Eurythmy? I've been going there every year since 2008. Before that, I was mostly going to Japan because there was a call and, and a need and desire to know what Eurythmy was. Your, um, Waldorf schools were sprouting up then in Japan. And now there are enough Japanese Eurythmists who are trained and working in Japan that it's not necessary for me to go to Japan any longer. But there are not enough in China, and China is vast. So mm. it's a, it is a fascinating need that's growing. It is, and it's so moment. encouraging. And you were mentioning before we went on the air that at Waldorf schools, uh, Eurythmy is one of two subjects that really set it apart in terms of curriculum from other schools. So it, it is considered very important in terms of the human experience or the development of a human being. Well, you can imagine, you know, nowadays we have children who find it very hard to sit still. Their concentration span is limited or is shrinking. We have children who come into Waldorf schools who can't draw pictures anymore because their imagination has been robbed by the fixed, finished pictures they've been given through the screens. We have now a time in the world where we're not calling teenagers teenagers anymore. We're calling them screenagers. We have so much time that is spent in front of screens that we, we have what we have no idea about is the real cost of this. That's true. Um, so yes, Waldorf schools, that's where you can usually be sure to find Eurythmy being taught. But unfortunately, for instance, here we have a charter school, which is Waldorf-inspired, but I think it's been a long time since I've been able to teach there because in the charter they didn't specify that they needed someone to teach Eurythmy because they had no one on hand who could explain to the government what this form of oh. art or movement is. Well, that would be another so. reason why so many folks here comparatively haven't heard of Eurythmy. Exactly. Our guest today here on Simple Life Radio is Kristen Ramsden. She's a Eurythmy teacher, instructor, and performer. She teaches classes, and uh, among many other things, Kristen, I know that you are so proficient at. Um, we are going to take a break now. We're going to come back after this break and talk more about Eurythmy as a therapy and uh, some of the other possibilities with it. So stay with us for more Simple Life. People near and far have been coming to the Pilgrim's Way bookstore in Secret Garden for the last 45 years because they can find things here that they don't find anywhere else. What makes us different? We have great book recommendations. 
We have staff recommendations. We have the best quality selection. Custom orders come in as quick as the next day. We have curbside service. Make your purchase arrangements over the phone. You don't even have to look for parking. We'll run it right out to you. Hi, I'm Paul from the Pilgrim's Way Community Bookstore and Secret Garden. We are located on Dolores Street between 5th and 6th in Carmel-by-the-Sea. Pilgrimsway.com, like us on Facebook, or give us a call, 624-4955. Come on in, I'd like to meet you. Pilgrim's Way Community Bookstore and Secret Garden. understand the Pope. All I know about the Pope is he's the oldest living man we know who's not had sex. <laughs> and it doesn't seem fair. Go all your life without sex and then we'll give you this hat. <laughs> and it's not even an attractive hat, you know? I think it's a heavy hat. Maybe he's not praying as much as we think he is. He just can't hold up that damn hat. And I have a friend that believes in the rapture. You know what that is? Where at the end of the world, God would take all the good people and they would just disappear in a flash? Can you imagine? We could take their stuff. <laughs> Planet Cruise Comedy. And we're back in the studio live with our guest, Kristen Ramsden, who is a Eurythmy teacher. And she has uh, come up with a... Um, uh, a whole lot of information to share with us. So I'm so glad that you're here, Kristen, because this is so interesting. Thank I you. I really haven't heard much about it, as I said um, before our conversation in the bookstore there at Pilgrim's Way. And um, before the break, we were talking about uh, Eurythmy as therapy. Um, I know that uh, it's also an art form. I know we were uh, mentioning how it is required in Waldorf curriculum, and uh, I just I just want to say it was so fascinating to me to find this information about eurythmy as an art form. It's obvious, it's beautiful, it has musical accompaniment and free form, beautiful body movements that correlate to it. Um, there was a mention of having eurythmy performed with Shakespeare or other material. That's something that's been going around in the U.S., New York City, Boulder, Colorado, Austin, Texas. Um, I, it just seems like a very sensitive and, and fully sensing uh, characteristic to add to our culture, and I'm happy to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you were also saying that uh, it, it affects people in a balancing way. And work has been done with elderly who oftentimes are not as physically active as they used to be or would like to be. And this is something that's gentle for them that they can actually do without overexerting themselves and improve their balance and also the balancing in the, the hemispheres of the brain. That's true. 
Yeah, and I think the general experience when you participate in a eurythmic class is that you're you're amazed at how engaged you are fully, and you don't even notice that you are refreshing yourself. You end up at the end of the class not worn out, but you feel awakened. The space around you is more alive. You you become more aware of where you are. I often tell high school students when I'm teaching them, what does Eurythmy teach you? It teaches you to be in the right place at the right time. Now that's like knowing the language of the birds. Who would not want to know how to be in the right place at the right time? Sounds ideal. And you get a sense for this. It's so magical. Um, I also tell high school students that, you know what, one thing that you can be sure you will have as a result is you will be a better driver, and you will be able to read maps and navigate your way through life. Now, how is that connected? (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we read forms. You know, we, we move in directions where we as human beings are not bound to move only forward. Mm. If we were to move around a circle, always facing in the same direction, we would have to move sideways, diagonally, forward, diagonally in the other direction. We move through the whole sphere that you know, this really distinguishes us from the animal kingdom because there is no other being, I guess, that can decide, okay, I'm going to move backwards now and then diagonally back, then diagonally to the left. I've seen some horses do that. <clears throat> horses can do this. <laughs> but they have to have a rider yes, on do. top of them, giving yeah. them that instruction. Giving them the instruction. And, true. you know, well, there's a lot that distinguishes us. So. Yeah. So it really increases our awareness of our space, which is what you started out explaining mm-hmm. about your rhythm when we began. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I am moving myself in a Eurythmy group, but I have a neighbor on either side of me. Okay. And if you imagine, if we're all standing standing in a circle, my position in the circle is going to either build the circle and make that circle more perfect, or if I step out of the circle or into the circle... I'm changing the whole. Right. So one individual, the movement of one individual is crucial, absolutely does affect the whole. And this, I think, is one of the most important things for teenagers to see today, that everything is connected and that what you do makes a big difference. Right, because teenagers are looking for their their sense of personal power, their sphere of influence, and knowing or questioning probably um, more than knowing oftentimes what kind of influence they have and how far-reaching is it and what can they do with it. Exactly, yeah. So this must be why one of the other descriptors I saw about Eurythmy had to do with belonging to a group, which, of course, we all belong to a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think um, any environmentalist would agree if we could get a better sense of our belonging to the group of the human race on the planet with the other beings that we share the planet with, the world would be a better place. Wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it? Exactly. Yeah, so imagine you're in a, 
in a class, if your class is just two people, you have to face the other person and it's just the two of you. But if you have a class of seven or 10 or 12, or in China, I have classes of 50, mm. you know, the whole group moves in. You can feel the strength of what that is to come closer together. And as you move out, what it is to expand and free the space. So it's, it, this is just a very simple example. But, you know, sometimes we can actually see eurythmy in nature around us. We can see the movement of birds migrating and you you see this beautiful flow and that's something that you know I would say we're we feel close to if the music is giving us that you when you watch your rhythm and performance you can see the flow of the music the way you might watch the flow of even fish in water that's a really good visual. I remember going to uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium, and mm-hmm. they have that, oh, I'm probably going to call it the wrong thing, but the, the deep sea tank yes. where it's just this huge room, and the entire wall to yes. the second floor is all glass, yeah. and they have the sharks in there and, of course, the yellowfin. And, and, and you see the um, groups, the schools mm. of fish of different kinds that are much smaller, and, boy, do they know where those sharks are. And they never bump into each other. <laughs> they never bump into each other. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah. So how does Eurythmy challenge tradition? Oh, my. Well, for a start, the tradition is, you mean, in movement? It's described as challenging tradition. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that... Um, you know, Rudolf Steiner being such an inventive, uh, insightful individual in our history that, as you described in his architectural terms, really challenged tradition on a lot of levels Mm -hmm. by coming up with these innovative things that traditional professionals said could not be done. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I wonder if the challenging of tradition and eurythmy is rather than having everything compartmentalized and separate from a pathological standpoint, for example, in medicine or even in school, mm-hmm. that looking at it holistically is, uh, is challenging that tradition. I think, yes, I think that's the challenge, looking at it holistically. I mean, to think that the human being is not just a machine, is not, not an animal, that the human being has not just the three capacities of thinking, feeling, and willing, but that these are woven together with a spirit that enables us to do things and go beyond our own expectations, that we're able to surprise ourselves, we're able to mend fences, we're able to bring down walls, we're able to build towers and build bridges, and we're... You know, we're able to do everything we imagine because we create reality through our thinking. And this is what Eurythmy is making visible, where we're given a piece of of art form, either in a a piece of classical literature or a piece of classical music. And it doesn't even have to be classical, it could be modern. 
Um, and we try to be true, as true as we can to make that visible using all of our whole selves, our sense of truth. Well, this is here. Here is something which is a little bit mind-blowing. Rudolf Steiner spoke not only of five senses, he spoke of 12 senses. So there you get a picture of how far-reaching we have a sense of truth, we have a sense of balance, we have a sense of movement. These are three senses that we are, we we know we have, but we're not, they're not We don't traditionally call them like that, no, yeah. No, they're not considered the five senses, our taste, our smell, our touch, our so on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That I, is that is so true. We do have more senses than just our five senses, or six, which is more um, widely accepted than twelve. That is really true. And so, how did you uh, come uh, into contact with Eurythmy? How did this enter into your life? Funnily enough, I mean, my mother was a Waldorf student, but she never mentioned this to me, and. I knew all my cousins in Germany went to Waldorf schools, so I assumed that all schools in Germany were Waldorf schools. I had no idea that this was anything different. So um, I came to it because I was dissatisfied with what I was finding. I wanted to be a teacher. I went to Mills, and I wanted to go through the teacher training, and I felt very frustrated and dissatisfied with the intense emphasis on psychology, fundamentals of psychology and child behaviorism. And I felt there must be a more artistic approach, a more imaginative approach to children than this. And as it turned out, I actually went to a lecture by the man who founded Emerson College in Sussex. And he was speaking about Waldorf education, and for me, the doors went open, and I knew that that's what I had to research and Isn't follow. Isn't that funny? You followed into your mom's footsteps fo- in that way. And my brothers, who have the same same interests, or I mean, the same family background, have no interest, no interest in this. Isn't that? But my mother then was able to actually rekindle her interest, and the two of us now she's very much studying anthroposophy and holds a study group at the manor where she lives and she's she's very much involved with this now we should mention the connection in our community with your mom because so many people know your mom yes through the thunderbird bookstore and the barnyard shopping center from years gone by yeah, I think she created quite a cultural center heart heartbeat there she was Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I spent many an hour in the Thunderbird bookstore before I had any inkling of connection to the Pilgrim's Way and uh, just treasured the gatherings in the cafe and just the feeling of walking in this uh, cathedral of information. And, Isn't that wonderful? And elders. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course, the Whole Life Center was where I tended to gravitate to. Oh, I but, can imagine. Um, yeah, it was just a great gathering place, and that is your family. Your well, that family, was uh, her Her strength, was really this European vision of the specialty shops, and my father had the strength of being an accountant and 
being able it was really a mom and pops initiative i don't think it could ever be done now in this economic climate but you know at the time that's what was possible and that's what they did that's what they did. Our guest today on Simple Life Radio, Kristen Ramsden, is with us as a Eurythmy instructor. And uh, we're talking about Eurythmy, which is not as well known in the West as it is in uh, different parts of Europe, etc. And do you think you'll be going back to China to teach again? I keep getting asked. I've had another email today. Yes, I'll definitely be going back. I mean, this is a people, these are a movement-oriented people. They love what they feel in their, in their thirst for beauty. You have to imagine this is a, from a country where this sense of beauty has really been squashed through the cultural revolution mm. and what they've had to endure and go through and and now things are really bubbling and percolating and the fact that Waldorf schools exist at all in China is nothing short of a miracle it's it's marvelous when i go there of course my brief is i don't speak politics i don't speak religion but you know, what I carry and what they sense is the, the deep truth of what it is to be human. And that transcends politics or religion, I think. I am so glad that you are teaching this. And, and any group of people, I think, would be uh, well-suited to, to learning this particular um, aspect of listening and sensing and and expressing now uh, earlier before the show you also mentioned it's going into corporate yes there's eurythmy for the workplace so you can if you have a company and you're finding you have problems i've done the training which means that we can go into a a company situation and devise exercises that will help create better understanding or better teamwork awareness between the employees and the managers and the CEOs and that everyone when you get together in on the same floor and you're moving in one pe- in one piece of music or one you're moving poem, moving as one unit you're right you're moving as one unit yeah there you get to know each other in a different way and you can also have exercises which allow the employees to see what what's what are the managers having to be aware of. The managers can place themselves in the employee's position and see what that's like for them. So, you know, you you just get a much wider, deeper understanding between the different players. You know, Kristen, listening to you describe this, it strikes me that practicing eurythmy would also have one get in better touch with their own humanness you know outside of the ego outside of the title the responsibility the obligation the family history but just connecting on a deep level to simple and pure humanness this is true this is so true the only thing is that we can practice yoga singly for ourselves. Yeah. We can do Tai Chi for ourselves. 
We can create our own little routine. You can create your own routine in Eurythmy for yourself. I do in the morning as well. But there is no substitute for finding other human beings with whom you can create something larger than any one of your individual initiatives could create. So you actually need other people. And I think this is a reality that we human beings, we need each other. Agreed. We do. We do. And yeah. and we are served so much better when we understand that rather than fight it, of course, mm-hmm. and have great tools and, and ways of being harmonious in getting along together. Because, I mean, a lot of people have lived in a dorm or some kind of family situation, and you can put up with things, you can avoid things, you can, you know, do your own thing. But um, that's not the same as having a connection and a harmony with those that are around you. Yeah. Yeah. So this, I, I love to think that this is really a social art form. I think when you watch Eurythmy, it's close to figure skating because the movement source is lifted higher if in Tai Chi or in Judo, any of the martial arts. It's below the belly button. Well, the beginning of our movement in Eurythmy is right in the center of the chest or higher, closer up towards our collarbones. And when we move in this way with one another, we're more like ballroom dancing, mm. moving along. But that you come into a, an ability to flow, which takes all your musculature engagement. Um, it's not It's not a usual way of moving so it is something which is learned and practiced and we it is something that you get better at over time you know you said the middle of the chest it sounds like it's heart it is heart based it is heart based so you're moving from the heart yes yes well no wonder (laughs) (laughs) definitely now before we completely run out of time we've got a couple of minutes i wonder if you could share with us the most impactful experience you've had with this form of movement, Eurythmy? Well, this is, this is really tricky because there are many, many to choose from. I would have to say just seeing, you know, let's say... Uh, you know, I really don't know that I can choose one. <laughs> there are so many, and it would take another hour for us oh, to go would on. It really, it really would, because uh, I'd have to describe the whole situation that happened. Yeah, yeah. But um, when I see a child's eyes as I as they're leaving the class, I greet all the children as they come in with a handshake and as they leave the class with a handshake. Now, and they is this have to, in China in, or? This is in any country. Any country. If I'm, and it doesn't matter which age. Well, probably the younger ones, I don't necessarily stop at the door with a handshake, but the older ones I do. But whatever, when I see them leave a class of Eurythmy and I see the difference in their stature and the difference in in their step, it just thrills me. I, I uh, there's nothing like it. Well, that, that's a that's a visual testimony to the contribution that you have just offered. Thank you. 
Don't you think? I mean, you're you're seeing a reflection of something that you have contributed. Yes, and the the amazing thing is that that those kids will go and they'll probably complain to their classmates. Oh, this was just oh, wasn't that terrible? Oh, we don't like you with me. And there's a particular time in their development where it's right. They don't want to reveal themselves, and all movement does reveal us. So. It's right that they don't like it at a certain point, but they always come through this tunnel to when they're in 11th and 12th grade. And when they come through, I had one boy, his name was most appropriate, Michael Payne, spoke to me after his graduation speech in Australia. And he said, Mrs. Ramsden, I have to tell you, you've taught me something for my whole life. You've taught me that I can learn to like something I thought I hated. Mm. And I burst into tears and gave him a huge hug because I think wow. this is something that is so important in, to, in today's day and age. We tend to just turn away from what we don't like or what's difficult or what's challenging to us and walk away from it. If it doesn't feel good, we won't do it. But to actually stick with something and and stay with it, learn from it, then we grow we grow immeasurably and it's this is just such a wonderful thing that is given as an opportunity in Waldorf schools and it's empowering it's inspiring to me I think specifically because it's empowering it's simple it's within reach it's good for us it's good for whatever group we're part of and it's certainly good for our health uh, mind body soul yeah Thank you so, so much for coming on the show today. Is there um, anything that we left out that's just burning? Because we've got like a minute or so left. I think if anyone has any interest, I would just love to hear from anyone. Because I would love to collect people together here in this area who would like to form a group, form a class, and... We could do this either at the Carmel Foundation, perhaps, or at Hidden Valley Music Seminar in Carmel Valley, or maybe there's another location that I'm just not yet aware of. That's a fabulous invitation, folks. And I just want to let uh, you know, Kristen, that the archive for this interview will be made available as podcast, and the listening audience is very wide, so you might be getting calls from who knows where. I'd be thrilled. Tell us that number again. 207 208-7888. Wonderful. Eight is a very successful number for the Chinese, <laughs> so right. I like that number. <laughs> 207-208-7888. All right. Well, thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule to come into the studio and share about your rhythm with us. Thank you, Cynthia. And I want to let everyone know a couple of things that are coming up in the future here. Um, next week, my guest on Simple Life Radio is going to uh, be about the topic of family, food, and celebration. We are now entering officially into the uh, time of holidays and harvest and celebrating. So we're going to have some recipes for you on the air, certainly some uh, descriptors about food, coordinating. Um, Michael Calabrese, my guest, lives mostly off the grid. So for anyone who's interested in that style of uh, living technology, we will have lots of tidbits for you on that. 
At the bookstore, Pilgrim's Way Community Bookstore in Secret Garden. Today we're in two locations. Uh, this weekend is the Rhoda Fair at the fairgrounds in Monterey, so you can find Paul there today. And uh, at the bookstore in downtown Carmel on Dolores between 5th and 6th, you can reach us at 831 624-4955. Tim is holding down the fort. Thank you, Tim. Um, we have an author event next Saturday, uh, author on a book titled Mary of the Mayflower, and she's traveling around with her first book. Uh, it's a great novel, somewhat historic, and uh, very tantalizing. So I hope you stop in. Say hello to her, and uh, that will be on Saturday, November 8th, from 1 to 3 in the afternoon. In addition, tomorrow morning is the Tracking Club, Monterey Bay Tracking Club. So if you have time, and even if you don't, get up early and get outside. Now that it's rained here, everything is clean, great animal prints in the, in the uh, landscape, and uh, we meet at 8 a.m. at the Ord Market in Marina. You can stay as long as you like, but everyone else goes home at 11. Um, we have a fabulous group that meets. So I hope you join us. If you haven't already, we'd love to see you there. And I'll be with you again next week. So until that time, I hope that you uh, enjoyed the show today and that you keep it simple. Take care. Zabadab, 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 zabadab